wonder why uh, our Lord Jesus Christ had a special love for kids. Um, with this sign of getting older, I don't know, but yeah, I find myself more just watching kids and their, their boundless energy. I suppose I'm talking of younger kids now. You know, you, you see them, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I, but they're full of optimism. And, uh, you know, they, they bound around and, and life is all ahead of them. Then they grow up and grow old. And life has a habit of kicking the stuffing out of us, doesn't it? Do you think about when you're kids now? You know, do you just think, you play all day, I know there's no, no responsibilities. You know, you can just, all you've got to do is eat and sleep and, uh, you know, be naughty, things like that. But, um, but life goes by, and, um, and there's still the kid inside of us, isn't there? You know, I told you this morning, my ridiculous attempt to play football on camp a couple of weeks ago. What was I thinking? Man in his 70s. Anyway, there you go. But, it, but I, th- I thought for a moment, I was young. You know, my, my, you, your mind thinks, like, we're still boys, we're still kids. And then you try and run, you know. Um, but life sucks at times, doesn't it? When you're young, you, you write your plans of how life is going to go. And then, one by one, dreams are shattered. For various reasons, but that is life. And it strikes me how many older young people, teens, 20s, are suffering from incredible anxiety and depression. We're living in a world of tremendous pressures. And people my age can think back to when life was a lot simpler. Now, it wasn't the good old age. We don't want to get in that syndrome. But life was simpler. The pressures on a young generation are immense. They're becoming old much too soon. But life is tough. And you don't have to be very old to cry and weep and feel sad. And times of pressure and um, crisis, maybe talking to us older ones now, they're inevitable. They're unavoidable. When crises come in life, I think two major things happen. Firstly, we lose perspective. And then secondly, we gain anxiety and fear. Those two things happen. And even if we're Christians, even if we know we have these wonderful hopes that we've been praying about, you know, life just comes upon us, a crisis happens, and we lose perspective, we lose the big picture, and we're filled with anxiety and fear. We'll be looking at 2 Kings 6 tonight. And uh, we're going to see a time of crisis, but how eyes were opened to the spiritual world. This is our greatest need, to have our eyes open, continually open to the spiritual world, to keep perspective. Now, these are the times of Elisha the prophet. Um, Israel was in a dreadful state of of great apostasy, and the king is Joram, or you might have Jehoram, depending on your translation. He's the king of Israel. 
Um, not to be confused with, with King Joram, Jehoram of Judah, of the south. They were around at the same time, so that can be confusing. But this is around a 50 uh, BC. As I say, um, turbulent times, Israel in a, in a real mess through their, through their sin. And uh, now this uh, Joram now, uh, 2 Kings 6, um, he's the son of the evil king Ahab. Ahab, his wife Jezebel. And uh, Joram has many of his father's traits. Um, his father was wicked, but at times could be quite pleasant. <laughs> he was godless, but at times could be religious. He could blow hot and cold. Uh, James, in his epistle, speaks about the double-minded man who is unstable in all he does. This was Joram, a, 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 a double-minded kind of character, even capable of murder at times, and yet quite pleasant as well. <laughs> well, anyway, Elisha, of course, he's, he's sent a stage here. This is God's faithful servant uh, at a time of national crisis and apostasy, and uh, Elisha succeeded the mighty Elijah, and uh, quite different to his mentor. Um, it's amazing how uh, personalities differ. Elijah, solitary, uh, John the Baptist kind of uh, character. Elisha, a farm boy, reserved, more sociable, light company. We see him hanging out uh, before this with the sons of the prophets. There were these bands of young men who were under prophetic oversight, receiving training, uh, being trained up for, for ministry. And we see Elisha sort of hanging out with them and um, saving them for food poisoning <laughs> just before this, um, receiving a sunken axe head from, from, the, from the water. Um, but Elijah was a man who was uh, under the tutelage of um, of Elijah. Elijah was a powerful man, and yet a man of like passions. We see him cowering under a tree uh, after his mighty acts on Mount Carmel. He's running from Jezebel, and, and so he was, you know, he was a, a, a human being. These weren't supermen. But as I say, their personalities were, were very different. So here's Elisha. He's more sociable. He's uh, more reserved, and we might even say he was shy. Um, but he served as a, an apprentice for four years under Elijah. And um, I think apprenticeships a good thing. I don't, just on a human level now, I don't know if you've ever been in an apprenticeship. It's a good way to learn the trade, a neglected um, means of, of learning, I think. You know, it's so easy to push through someone through a course of study without the actual you know, feet on the ground kind of thing. Um, but here is Elisha. So he's observed Elijah. But he's very different. I think, I, I think from a preaching point of view, this always fascinated me, the different kinds of personalities and, and approaches. Uh, the, the same message. And um, Colin mentioned my involvement with the open-air mission. And if you were to go on an open-air mission um, team event, you would see all these different men, different sizes, backgrounds, accents, personalities, but with one message. Uh, and that in itself is a tremendous witness. We, we know the, the cults are clones, aren't they? They're sent out with this you know, clone-like message. Whereas you get gospel preachers and their different characters and personalities but preaching that same 
message. And the church, the body of Christ, made up of different you know, parts, and yet, yet that one body, and, and it's that uh, diversity, but, but, but unity, something to, not to divide over, but to rejoice over. So anyway, that, that's Elisha, very different to Elijah, but he was God's man for the hour. I, 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 I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I find that fascinating, that God raises up people for the hour, doesn't he? Do you ever find yourself daydreaming and thinking, I wish I, wish I lived in another era? Which is your favourite era? You, 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 but no, we're here. We're here now. You are God's person for this moment. You don't think, well, what, me? Yes, you. you know, God has placed us where you are. This is providence putting you where you are right at this time. And in that specific mission field where you are now, that that group of people around you, you are, you are God's person in your situation for now. There's a great peace in that. You know, instead of longing to be in a different place, at a different era. No, we're, we're realists as Christians, and we recognize that the sovereign God has placed us right here, right now. In Britain, right now, for this hour. God knows what he's doing. And we feel our weakness, and that's okay. Because it's never been easy being God's person for the hour. And Elisha was the right person for this time here. Now, the context here is a war between this um, Syrian king, uh, or you might have the king of Aram, uh, and the king of Israel. This is from verse 8 we're, we're looking at here. Now, there's a problem, is that there's an informant. The, the Syrian king... Um, he's um, making all these battle plans against Israel, but, but his plans are being leaked. <laughs> Somehow, he thinks, well, there must be a, a spy, there's a mole here somewhere. And uh, yet no idea that this Elisha has the ability to, to know what's going on right in this king's room. But the truth leaks out, we're not told how, but uh, they find out that the culprit is Elisha the prophet. So, what's the solution? Well, eliminate him. Let's pluck out a couple of verses. Um, maybe verse 13. Maybe verse 12. One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Actually, I find it a bit ridiculous, because um, surely that Joram would guess that if Elisha can hear my plans, he'll hear this one too. You know, is it ridiculous, isn't it? Go and get him. Well, he did that. Oh, sorry. You know. But anyway, let's not go far down that line. But... Um, but that's his plan anyway. Let's go and get Elisha. He's the troublemaker. He's the one causing all the, the problems. And so we see then this crisis and this uh, ensuing panic. Uh, verse 14. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So that's the crisis. They're surrounded by the enemy. They're trapped in Dothan. 
They're surrounded by the enemy. There is no way out. Everything seems absolutely hopeless. And, um, and then there's this panic that, uh, that is evident here in, in uh, Elisha's uh, servant's heart. Um, but it's easy. I don't know if you find yourself guilty. You're, you're reading through the scriptures and you're saying to me, why don't they don't just, why don't they just get a grip? You know, why don't they just exercise faith? And, you know, but we know very well when we're in a tight situation, it's another thing altogether, isn't it? When we're in a crisis, it just overwhelms us at times. And as I say, we lose perspective. And all we can see is the problem. You know what I'm saying, don't you? We've all had those times where, we, where, where we're in this, uh, in this situation, then there is no way out. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. I can think of a number of situations, but maybe my greatest situation is in my alcoholic days. I was... Um, Looking back, it was, it was God brought me to the end of myself, really, but, but it was though I, I could see no way out. I, I had, there was a threefold grip on my life. I loved the flavor of drink. I loved being drunk. I loved being with drunkards. My poor wife, Gwen, would say, Mike, you know, why didn't you go to Alcoholics Anonymous? And I said, well, they'll tell me to stop drinking, won't they? Which is, well, yes. Oh, I can't. I won't. And it, was, it was an impossible situation. And getting worse. I didn't like letting my wife and kids down. I didn't like being a lousy dad. I didn't like being a lousy husband. I didn't like letting my colleagues down. But if you know any addicts, in the end, it, you know, you just end up trapped. Uh, at times, I could see, thinking of this situation, I could just see this black cell in my mind. This this black round cell, but with no doors. Absolutely impossible to one day it was though the door swung open through Jesus Christ I went out uh, my chains fell off my heart was free I rose went forth and followed thee see God is the great deliverer isn't he no situation is hopeless now we all say in our hearts at least Amen. But I, at times, have to remind myself, Mike Meller, why are you worrying? Why don't you think back to that deliverance? And we've all had deliverances, haven't we? Can't we all point back to times when God came in? And yet somehow we sort of push them aside. Where we need to feed on them and say, what God has done, he can do again. And if it's not our deliverance, it's the deliverance of another. Uh, and the Bible's full of them. And, and Jesus is the great deliverer. He's the one who came into the world to deal with sin, with Satan, with death. All the things that we can't deal with, he came to do. The mighty Christ, the mighty deliverer. So here's a situation now, and it's a situation of absolute panic. And... Uh, and if you're of a certain age, you'll hear a, a certain Scotsman saying, we're doomed. <laughs> we're doomed. You know, in Dad's Army, there's that character, you know. And, uh, but there are those people in the church who say, oh, we're doomed. They might, oh, sorry, Bush. But, uh, <laughs> but you are, you're excellent. But they might be English people saying, we're doomed. 
We all do. <laughs> and he wouldn't put it into words because we're Christians. We don't. But there's that feeling of doom in our heart, isn't there? Oh, heck, there's no way out of this. And I believe the greatest enemy, our greatest enemy in times like that, if we're Christians, is unbelief. Unbelief. It paralyzes us and strips us of all hope. Um, A.W. Pink, the, the, the Christian writer, speaking about unbelief, he spoke about the tendency of the human heart to distrust God and it would rather lean on a cobweb of human resources than upon the arm of an omnipotent, all-wise, infinitely gracious God. <laughs> In other words, we would have a, rather have a cobweb we can see than the invisible God we can't see. It is unbelief, failing to believe that God can come into our situation. We always prefer to walk by sight and not by faith. I don't know if you have ever read any of a man called F.W. Krumacher. Um, good, strong, reformed theology, but with this poetic mind. There's a wonderful book called The Suffering Saviour. Wonderful book, but anyway, but he has the ability to just put things beautifully in. He preaches unbelief like this. He says, unbelief makes the world a moral desert where no divine footsteps are heard, where no angels ascend and descend, where no living hand adorns the fields, feed the birds, or governs events. In other words, we're seeing miracles all around, aren't we? The, the birds in Collins Garden, these beautiful birds were coming. and Wow, look at these creatures. The beautiful colors, the design. And uh, that great moon. Did you see that, that, that moon that we had recently? I don't know if you had it where we, but we had. had this massive, but some people were saying, is it the sun? There were people down on the coast at Bournemouth. They went, is that the, it was the moon, this massive green. We're seeing miracles all the time. But as, as Krumacher says here, you know, we live in this moral desert. There's no divine footsteps, heard, no angels. We don't see the living hand that adorns the fields, feed the birds, or governs events. So it's unbelief that we, we don't see this as God's world. And, and God's, you know, we, we, we look at our world today and we think, oh, what's happening? Well, anyway, it's unbelief. But there's this great revelation we come to now, verse 16. So here's the, the panicking servant and asked my master what shall we do so Elisha answered do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them and Elisha prayed and said Lord I pray open his eyes that he may see then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Notice what Elisha says. Firstly, he says, you see, his first words are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I don't know how many times the, a, a similar phrase appears in Scripture. You know, fear not. Um, someone said there are 365, well, one for each day of the year. Maybe, I, I don't know, a bit too convenient, but there's a load, isn't there? You know, how many fear nots, how many times does God tell us not to be afraid? 
Well, he knows what we're like, doesn't he? That's why there are so many. I love that account in one of the Gospels where here's the Lord Jesus and, and Jairus, the synagogue ruler, has beckoned him to come to his, his, his daughter who's dying. And remember how on the way there, there are all these interruptions, we, we might call them, but no, they're with the Lord that deals with this person, with that person. But all the time, the time is ticking by and his daughter is at home dying. And when they eventually get near to the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, um, that very helpful, kind soul comes out and says, don't bother the teacher anymore, she's dead. <laughs> Heartless. And, and what does the, the law say? He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Wow, what a difference. And then those lovely words, little girl, I say to you, arise. Here's the Lord of glory. Here's the Lord of life. Gives the word. And so when the Lord tells us not to be afraid, there's always a good reason why we shouldn't be afraid. I said this morning that Sometimes people in the world say, don't be afraid, you know, cheer up, but give us no reason. <laughs> but when the Lord says, don't be afraid, then we can believe him. And so here we are, in a time of crisis, they can vary, can't they, when we're going through this world. And you're in trouble, very different to here, of course, but you're sick, you're, you're broke, <laughs> you're... Uh, you're rejected, you're afraid, I don't know what, what is it. You know, they're, they're different things to different people, but it's a time of crisis. But we have those two little words, but God, in the Bible, don't we? It is the problem, but God. If you're a Christian, then you can take those words. Actually, if you're not a Christian, you might be like me. Although you're not an alcoholic, you're in that dark cell. You, you, you don't know Jesus Christ. You know about God. You, you, you know certain things, but you don't know that your sins are forgiven. You, the, the, we're talking about delighting in Jesus. You're thinking, well, I don't know him. I don't love him. Well, this is for you. Because these are eyes being opened, the blindness being dealt with here. Because that's what Elisha goes on to say. Elisha says, those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Now, it's easy to say, okay, that's a great thing to say, Elisha, but I, I don't get it, I don't see it. <laughs> no, you're, you're talking about things I don't know. But then he prays, doesn't he, in verse 17, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. We're talking about the supernatural here, aren't we? Christianity is a supernatural thing. And um, you know, we, we sometimes think, if we're Christians, why don't people get it? Well, of course they don't get it. They're, they're blind. The Bible says they're dead. The person without Christ is dead in trespasses and sins. They don't get it. Um, the number of times poor Gwen tried to get me to a church in the past and, and, and dragged me in. I remember on one occasion sitting on this pew and there was uh, a, a, a row of uh, nice elderly ladies on the row in front, and I was breathing these awful beer fumes all over them. You know, they're turning around, and, you know. But I didn't get it. I didn't want to go to church. I had no interest in church. I didn't want to read the Bible. I had no interest in the Bible. 
But Gwen cried out to God. Even before she was a Christian. That's the wonderful thing. <laughs> God is so gracious. We were both in darkness. Not that she was an alcoholic. And God comes and he opens blind eyes. Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians 4. The same God who spoke and there was light and there was creation. That same God speaks into human hearts. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, you know, these things are unreal to me. Well, pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your word, in your law. Lord, open my eyes that I might see the beauty of Jesus. Open my eyes that I might see. That's a great prayer. He'll answer that. If you ask that with all your heart, Lord, forgive me. I've been so blind, so stupid, so bad, so sinful. Lord, open my eyes that I might see the glory of Jesus Christ. It's astounding. I, when God opened my eyes, my first thought is, well, why? Why? Why, why, why a rotten person like me? And yet, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isn't that a wonderful thing? If it said Christ Jesus came into the world to save nice people, you know, well, that would narrow it down a bit because there aren't any. But, uh, well, did I say this? Yeah, okay. Nice people, it's uh, horrible people like me. They, they get it, but we, we got people, we met up with some of our family yesterday, and one of, our, one of my nieces, she is so, so nice. And, uh, and yet, isn't it hard for a nice person to see how rotten they are? Maybe, maybe that's you. You're such a nice person, everyone speaks so well of you. And yet we need to see, we need a revelation from God to see really how rotten we are. And yet how much Christ has loved us and died for us and can open our eyes to see him as our saviour. Well, here we go. So here's, here's Elisha's servant and his eyes are opened. And um, what he sees is actually God's on our side. Yeah, humanly speaking, we're surrounded by this massive army. We're doomed. There's no hope here. But when his eyes are opened, he sees actually God is with us. And there are more with us than there are with, with them. So perspective comes in. And it's often said, one with God is a majority. <laughs> one person with God. You know, in, in these days, now we're, we're living in this, this awful nation, aren't we? What, what we have become. And yet we can be, I think, as Christians, go into kind of a, a siege mode. We're not in Dothan, but we can get into our little... Dual siege, man. Poor little us. You know, we are we are this hopeless, helpless minority, and and this is the work of the devil to make us think that we've had it. You know, the whole the the, the powerful ungodly world is going to overwhelm us, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Jesus Christ will build His church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And and, and this is God's world. God is calling the shots. God, the sun will rise tomorrow morning only for one reason. Um, not that Alan Sugar can make another million, not that Man City can win another Premier League title. If the sun rises tomorrow, it's because Jesus Christ is still to save. No other reason. It's God's world going on for his purposes. But we have an enemy that makes us think, poor little us, here we are, a little bunch of Christians, what can we do? 
You know, I don't know if you ever find yourself watching the BBC. I don't know why we do it, but it gives the impression that um, everyone is either for the gay cause or for the trans cause. Or, and we tend to think there is this massive enemy and we are little helpless minority. We, we, we need to get things in perspective and to see that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that the church has all these resources that we can God come into our situation. And so this is the, the, the trouble with the servant here. He needed his eyes open to see that those with us are more than those who are with, with them. And if God is for us, that's the, the Romans passage, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, let's just m move on quickly because um, his eyes are open to spiritual realities. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. We have got to say that. You know, that, that we, we, we're in our, in our fear, in our panic, but this, this revelation comes and then we begin to get things in perspective. Then we begin to see things as they really are that God really is in control and we have no need to, to, to worry. So what am I saying? Well, I think it's, it's the danger that we forget the supernatural dimension to our faith. I think there's a reason for that. I think we're in that group of people that we see the wacky squad over here. You know, and we don't want to be like them. They're weird. But we retreat over here and we're very, we're very sound. We're very reformed. But we've lost something. We've lost the expectancy that God can break into our situation as individuals, as a church. Uh, and we're, we're so afraid of the wackies that we, we become the ultra-safe group. And we've lost something. This isn't New Testament Christianity. I know it's walking a knife edge. But unless we have that dimension, we begin to be rationalists. We, 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 we're, no, we're no better than the liberals <laughs> who, who edit out all the miraculous from the Bible. Now, especially in the context here, which is about angels. And that's what we're looking at here. This, this was... And again, we've got to be careful here. Please don't misunderstand me. But his eyes were open to see angelic ministry. Now, we're, we're not saying this is always the norm, but this is the possibility of angelic ministry for the saints. I think it's a great study in itself, just, just to look at, uh, at the Lord Jesus and, and, and angelic ministry in his life, you know, especially we see his birth, surrounded by angelic visitors and announcements. We see him tempted by Satan at, at the start of his ministry. Matthew 4.11, we're told angels attended and ministered to him. We see Gethsemane, and the disciples were sleeping, but we read that an angel appeared and strengthened him. The cross is remarkable. <laughs> it's here that he refuses heavenly aid. Um, as they, they, they come to seize him and, and just... Um, uh, he seems powerless, doesn't he? The Lord seems powerless. But he says, do you not think I can call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? That's, that's a lot of angels. Computed 72,000. If there's 6,000 in a Roman legion, you're talking about 72,000 mighty angels that 
but, but no. And the resurrection, of course, the angels appear at the tomb. He's not here. He's risen. <laughs> the ascension, just after the Lord ascends into heaven, um, there's the disciples sort of saying in so many words, what are we going to do now? You know, and uh, men of Galilee, why are you gazing up into the sky? This same Jesus will return in the same way that you've seen him go. And of course, at his glorious return, he'll come with his Father's glory and all the angels with him. So here are these, here are these magnificent, um, obedient servants of God, the, the, these angels, and there are myriads of angels. When you look at the Revelation, we're, we're told, and here they are, but, but they are active. They, 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 they long to look in as the Gospels preach. They marvel when the Gospels preach. But why on earth did, would, did he come? Why, why did the Lord of glory come for this bunch of rotters? You know, they, they, might, they look at us, and we, we are the redeemed. And, but angels love to, to look in at the gospel, and, uh, and no doubt they're, they're, there's angelic viewing at our services. Um, I, I did read a bit of Psalm 34 um, at, at the start. And um, verse 7, the angel of the Lord. What does, what does the angel of the Lord do? Encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. There was that deliverance, that, that, that ministry. Or, or, or Hebrews, in Hebrews 1, we get that lovely chapter where the, uh, the writer is saying how superior Christ is to the angel. He's not an angel. He's the, he's the eternal son of God. But then it closes with that tremendous rhetoric question, Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits? Talking of the angels now. Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. That's the Lord's people. So there is that mysterious um, angelic ministry that we read about there. So angels are unseen, but they're not inactive. It's good to bring in a, a heavy to back you up now and then. And John Calvin in his Institutes Speaking about angelic ministry, he says, Angels are the dispensers and administrators of the divine beneficence towards us, Christians. They regard our safety, undertake our defense, direct our ways, and exercise a constant solicitude that no evil befalls us. So in other words, there were probably times when we've been delivered and not even aware of it. And uh, so given to our encouragement here. Um, I remember hearing um, a Stuart Olliot sermon a little while back. And he was saying, the next time you fly, remember that there'll be angels traveling the same speed as your plane. <laughs> so we can be weird over this. But we can rob ourselves of just the fact that, that God is our guardian. doesn't always promise to deliver us, but maybe sometimes he might be. I said this morning, I love Christian biography. And I don't know if you've ever read um, John Patton. He was um, a pioneer missionary to the New Hebrides in the 19th century. Thrilling account. I mean, he was up against it. He went to to reach the cannibals. It really is hairy stuff. Um, but it is 
biography, he tells the, um, the, the a thrilling story about how um, there is this angelic um, intervention uh, one night. And uh, the, these were hostile natives. I mean, they, 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 they would uh, cook. <laughs> they would cook and, and eat the people they didn't like very much. So they, they wanted to harm people. So this wasn't um, a popping down to the supermarket and hoping no one hurts you kind of thing. This was uh, maybe an extreme case. But, but Patton speaks about this night, and it was just he and his wife were alone in the missionary headquarters. And, um, but they find themselves surrounded by these hostile natives. So they're, they're up praying all through that night for God to deliver them. Anyway, it was a long night. But in the morning, they, they uh, look out through their shutters, and they see that the whole lot have gone. Now, a year later, the, the chief of this uh, cannibal tribe is converted. And so they're talking, and so Patterson says to this chief, he said, um, on that night when you surrounded us, why on earth didn't you just take us and, and kill us? Um, only my wife and I were there. And the chief said this, he said that, um, well, we would have, but who were those hundreds of big men in shining garments that surrounded you? And um, Patton could only um, presume that there was uh, angelic uh, protection that night. Well, I'm not saying that we should pray for visions all the time. But what I am saying is, is it unreasonable to think that God can protect us, break into our situation, and, and maybe even deliver us? Even when we're not asking, even when we're not expecting. Just maybe one more account. Um, Professor John Murray, perhaps the greatest theologian of, of the, the 20th century, um, author, professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, he was traveling on his way to speak at a conference. Now, this is a, what all preachers do. You're, you're thinking about what you're going to say. You're, you're not concentrating on the driving as much as you should. So here's Professor Murray, and, and he's on his way. And he doesn't realize he's come to this crossroads, doesn't stop. And there's this car flashes in front of him. And, and, and the car, his car just screeches to a, to a halt like this. Both men get out, uh, shaken. And uh, the man in the other car said, well, if you hadn't braked, uh, that would have been fatal. Professor Murray goes completely pale and says, I didn't brake. <laughs> But his car came to a screeching halt, and he could only presume that there was an angelic protection that night. Well, we just need to be reminded that we belong to the God of the universe. And he doesn't always deliver. And in this moment, some Christians are dying for their faith. Others are being delivered. Um, Peter rescued from prison. Others are killed in prison. It's mysterious. We pray for healing. Some are healed in answer to our prayers. Others are not. We don't know why. But we should have expectancy, shouldn't we? That our God is going to deliver. That our God is going to deliver our nation. That our God is going to save people we love. Let me just finish with this. It's a lovely end. We... we we don't have a lot of time, but let me just finish with this, this tremendous uh, conclusion here, because what happens next is that Elisha prays after having the, 
God would open the eyes of his servant, he prays he would close the eyes of those who surrounded Dothan. And uh, now I don't think they're completely blinded here because he, he leads them. So he's leading this great army. So they must, the vision must be clouded. But they have enough sight, obviously, to follow Elisha. And, uh, and he leads them right into the heart of Samaria, the, the capital city of uh, Israel, where there will be the total mercy of the Israelites. Now, Joram, no, 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 knowing the king here, he no doubt would have wiped out the helpless army. No, no two ways about it. They got their comeuppance. But instead, Elisha lays on a feast and sends them home. Verse 23. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more to the land of Israel. It's a great triumph of grace. God coming in and uh, not giving them what they deserved but treating them with kindness and with grace, sending them home. And it diffused the situation. Uh, and there were no more wars there. There's something tremendously disarming about grace, isn't there? And, uh, you know, we, we, we go the second mile. We, we turn the other cheek. You know, as Christians, we, we, we respond in different ways to how people expect us to. People are unkind to us. You know, when we're cursed... We bless. <laughs> we, we don't want to harm people. There is something tremendously disarming. At times, the Christians, if you're honest, we feel so weak. But it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by God's Spirit, isn't it? And maybe tonight you feel absolutely weak and hopeless. For a Christian, that's the place of power. When we are weak, then we're strong. It's the place to be, isn't it? But God is with us, isn't he? God is with you. Christian, God is with you, with you. And he has delivered you. He is delivering you. And one day you will be completely delivered and taken home. God will finish what he started. He who began a good work in us We'll bring it to completion. One day we will be completely healed. We will be home in a place of absolute splendor and glory. And we'll look back and think, whatever was I worried about? Well, I don't know if we will look back. Who knows what we're doing there? But uh, if we could see, or oh, Christian, if you could see what God has in store for you, we'd have to stop you cartwheeling round the room <laughs> for joy no eye has seen no ear has heard neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has reserved for those who love him well let's pray now Father our greatest need is to have our eyes opened to the beauty of this world, Lord, just to the beauty of the natural world. What beauty, what miracles we see day by day. Beautiful birds, sunsets, sunrises, beautiful flowers. Lord, forgive us when we don't see the unseen hand that orders and sustains all these things.
Forgive us, Lord, when we just uh, brush aside all the promises of your word. Forgive us, Lord, when we think that you will not deliver us, when you're, we think you're not aware of us, you're not concerned about us, we're unbelief. We pray, Lord, that we'll not doubt you. Though we understand very little, we understand enough of you, Lord, to fill our hearts with joy and peace. So, Lord, will you not do that, we pray. Increase our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing um, one of my favorite hymns now. Turn to 432. This is one of my funeral hymns. I don't know when it is, so I can't let you know. Um, But this is what I've got on order. Great prayer. Give me the faith which can remove and sink the mountain. This is a prayer for us in Britain today. Give me the faith which can remove and sink the mountain to a plain. Give me the childlike praying love which longs to build thy house again. Thy love, let it my heart or power, and all my simple soul devour. 432.
That's it, bro. That's it. We've only got that one. Thank you, Lord, for those lovely words. Thank you, Lord, for the burning heart of uh, Charles Wesley. And yet, Lord, um, the same flame of your spirit in the hearts of all your saints through the years. And even our hearts tonight, will you not come to us, enlarge, inflame and fill our hearts with that boundless heavenly charity. We long for that heavenly love. Lord, thank you, it's not of us, it's all of you. Come to us, we pray, Holy Spirit. Fill us with the love of Christ, that we might overflow with his love. That's the greatest need of our nation, Lord. Your people, a flame of fire. Come, we pray, open our eyes. And holy flame, fill my heart. Fill our hearts, we pray. Because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.